Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John and Kyle. I'm a U.S. Marine, and the opinions expressed on the cast are my own, not official military policy. And the opinions expressed by me are also my own, not those of my employer or any other businesses I happen to be associated with. For today's episode, we're joined by a pair of special guests, Lieutenant Colonels Dave Burton and Jeff Roman. Gentlemen, can you give us a quick intro? Yeah, hi, I'm a Lieutenant Colonel Jeff Roman, currently the commanding officer of 9th Com Battalion. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with uh, 1st Marine Division, uh, Marine Expeditionary Units, and uh, in the supporting establishment with uh, Officer Com School and uh, Expeditionary Warfare School, both instructor tours. Hi, I'm uh, Dave Burton. I'm uh, currently the commanding officer of 8th Communication Battalion. Uh, I've also spent some time at 1st Marine Division. I've, I've got some time with MU, MIG, MHG. I've, I've spent time at a comm battalion before uh, out, out at, on the West Coast, and uh, I was an instructor at uh, communications officers course. Always a pleasure to be joined by fellow 1st Marine Division alumni. Oh my God. I hope we don't get into this Blue Diamond stuff too much. Cast listeners, we've known each other for give or take 20 years at this point. Uh, this may or may not go off the rails, uh, but we're going to have a bunch <laughs> of fun doing it. 20 years. We are getting old. Very, very yeah. old. Okay. Uh, but before we get into it, I want to make sure that we kind of have a common baseline for the listeners. So could one or both of you explain for somebody who isn't super Marine Corps familiar, what is a communications battalion and w- generically, what are they tasked with doing? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the way I would describe it specifically for 9th Com Battalion is that we we provide uh, full spectrum IT, telecommunication, cybersecurity, and cyber defense capabilities to include some uh, additional logistical support capabilities uh, to the MEF. So we have specific missions that are uh, aligned with the MEF command element and supporting the MEF headquarters uh, in four deployed environments. And then we also have other capabilities that we push out to major subordinate elements and major subordinate commands to fill very specific gaps that they may have. Excellent. So when our MEFs or Marine Expeditionary Forces deploy, you provide, give or take, the people and the gear that give them their major communication pipes. That's right. In, in addition to supporting the, the MEF tactical environment that includes the Fleet Marine Force tactical grid and the uh, IMFDM, in addition to uh, some of the other enclaves that we support and pull into the MEF environment, we have a MEF level network operations center, security operations center that uh, is vertically integrated down within the MEF and vertically up with uh, network, really laterally with Network Battalion and then with MACOG and Marfor Cyber. All right. And I cannot stress enough how lucky we are to have two slated battalion commanders here talking to us today. So let's start off with, so you were on a command board and you found out, hey, my name is on the list. And what a lot of commanders are going to do when they find their name is on the list is they think, hey, what do I want to do during my time in command? So for for both of you, and uh, Jeff, you're close to finishing up and, and Dave, you're towards the beginning here. But what was, if you don't mind sharing, what was on your list of what you wanted to do? And did you actually do that or did it kind of morph as you got more experience? So I think from my end, uh, I, I had a very good advantage uh, being the 1st Marine Division G6, uh, just with the proximity of being 
close to 9th Communications Battalion. So that so upon getting notified that I was slated to command 9th Com, uh, in my current role at the time, uh, I was able to observe and and see how the command was functioning and what it was providing to the to the MEF as a whole. Um, in addition to that, a lot of the innovations and a lot of the work we were doing in division at the time, uh, I believed were directly portable over to the comm battalion to, to not just improve some of the missions they supported, but to also expand uh, the support offerings that the battalion provided. Um, it was really evident to me, especially 9th Comm, which is the largest comm battalion. Uh, right now, we have just under 1,100 assigned personnel. By TO, we have 1,255 once DCO gets fully operations capable. Um, so it's a large battalion with a lot of capabilities. And one of the things I really wanted to do was unlock the, the untapped potential that resided in the formation. So uh, upon taking command, I didn't do the typical thing where you assess and wait six months and then start making changes. I kind of took command on a Friday and Monday started making changes. Um, and I, I think the people there knew that that was going to happen. Um, and so a lot of that was internally focused um, right at the beginning with uh, our really creating a culture and sustained focus of readiness. And within the FMF, it's all about readiness. It is all about being prepared when everyone else is least prepared. Hey, Jeff, real quick. Uh, when you say readiness, are you talking about looking at the individual Marine and saying, Lance Corporal, are you able to do assigned task A? Or are you talking readiness like the radios have batteries and all the SATCOM terminals actually work? What, what kind of readiness are we talking about? Yeah, it's everything. So uh, administrative readiness with the Marines being able to deploy. So when you look at the committed forces we have in the battalion and their alignment to specific mission sets um, with prepared to deploy orders with some of those mission sets uh, being being uh, over them, um, you know, the administrative readiness is huge and deployability. Um, it also goes into uh, what, what, what is involved in our supply maintenance analysis readiness team inspections, which is all about maintenance and, and equipment readiness. Um, and it also goes into um, uh, readiness inspection program with how the battalion functions, specific to CGIP inspect or commanding general inspection program uh, functional areas. And so when I, when I talk about readiness, it is a holistic view of what readiness means that when the the deployment order or execute order comes down, we know at that point we are ready to go. And that's not when we're getting ready to go. Um, and then uh, part of this too was also um, the battalion level, the, the orders development process and truly integrating um, all operations within the battalion through the S3 because um, part of 9th Com Battalion, especially with how large we are, is the companies are always doing something different. Um, and so, you know, information flows both internal to the battalion and then anything going up and out across the MEF, making sure we were, we were managing that information and taskers and things like that, and then increasing our planning horizon and providing warning orders, uh, you know, orders, fragos, things like that, 
you know, things that I think you, you get very accustomed to in division. Um, but when you leave division, some of that st- stuff goes out the window. So bringing that over um, and really posturing and increasing our planning horizon. And then what I would say is for externally, it's all about the value proposition to the MEF and the MEF commander and really all the commanders within the MEF. And so we overhauled the battalion, uh, very defined, very specific mission profiles. Right now we have 10 of those. Um, which are built around cross-functional, multidiscipline detachments and teams. And that includes the... Uh, time, the out, Mef- time out. That is a complicated word. Uh, Going to ask if we can dumb that down a little bit. What does that mean? Which, which part? Uh, complicated, multifaceted, that, that part. Oh, cross-functional, multidisciplined? There we go. Like, yeah. what, what does that mean in layman terms? No, that's, that's great. So... So with cross-functional and multidiscipline teams, what we're hitting on there is no longer are we organized with the old radio platoons, network platoons, data platoons. We've organized to the mission. So we have a MEF forward mission. We have a MAF task force headquarters mission. And so we organize around the holistic support that we provide to that mission profile where we have detachments and teams that have different MOSs working side by side with each other, and they form that organization. And so in in doing that, that's kind of been the approach across all 10 of those mission profiles from small teams of transmission data teams, which are flyaway packages. Uh, We have seven of those right now that that are led by an NCO that are forward deployed and providing uh, support to the MEF where gaps reside, um, all the way up to our MEF, MEF forward headquarters, which is going to be deploying here soon um, for a pack century. Um, but, but very, you know, so when we talk C2 at scale, it is really across the entire spectrum. Um, and then on top of that, we do mission rehearsals, uh, screeners, and assessments formal assessments similar to Marine Corps combat uh, readiness evaluations, you know, with performance evaluation checklists um, to assess and validate that these packages are ready to go. So we take a very deliberate approach with this. So what you're saying is you have a measurement for success that is published and actually used towards readiness. That's right. And, and in those assessments, we also assess administrative readiness. So when we talk about what it takes to get a team, a four-person team or an 80-85-person detachment out the door, we assess that holistically to include MOBEXs. You know, um, embarkation, you know, our embarkers are getting worked left and right with how we're postured in supporting one MEF. So MOBEX, mobility exercise, which is where right. you check to make sure not only can they make all the communications and the administration work, but can they actually move people and things from point A to point B and have they exercise that as well? Yep, that's right. All right. So this sounds like just such a very basic, simple job. So easy a cave person could do it, right? Um, <laughs> With 1,100 people. Right. 1,255 by, by design. Um, this is awesome. Dave, you're up. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I did have a couple of goals going into this. A little different situation. I'd spent the last nine years on the West Coast. Uh, and so coming over to the East Coast, there was no head start. Um, but, you know, I, I'd been in a comm battalion before. Uh, and frankly, I, you know, spoiler alert, I replaced Jeff at 1st Marine Division. And so I got to communicate with him uh, about the way that he was uh, approaching 9th Com Battalion. Uh, so that was that was uh, lucky for me. So I knew from day one I was going to uh, realign the battalion to mission alignment. Um, 
we used to have a, a company here at 8th Comm Battalion, or really in all Comm Battalions, called General Support Company. And what that was, uh, was a company full of some very um, expensive old uh, equipment that the service has divested of over the last 15 years. Dave, can you give us an example of what you're talking about? An example of what I'm talking about there, yeah, would be something like a a DTCR, uh, an LMST, a TIC-42 van. Uh, All of those things are gone. And so uh, the kind of the last of the Mohicans that we have left is is probably, you know, the VSAT large. We've got the old track 170s and we have smart T's. Uh, But beyond that, you know, we're moving to uh, a a lot easier kit, things things that are very... um, much more intuitive. Uh, and so I didn't think it required a specialized formation just to maintain transport, right? So, so we divested from that company, reinvested it uh, into uh, the other companies in the battalion and, and uh, generally aligned them along uh, the MEF, the MEB, and the MU mission sets. Uh, and so we did that uh, immediately after I, I got on deck. Uh, and so I, I haven't signaled to headquarters Marine Corps yet. I'm going to watch this over the next year, make sure that we've got it right, and then I'm going to signal to headquarters Marine Corps for a, uh, a toker. So that was number one. Uh, I wanted to restructure the comm battalion. The second was all about reinvigorating our training proficiency as a battalion. Um, I, I truly believe that a comm battalion is the uh, center of excellence for communications on each coast, right? So you've got 7th Comm Battalion uh, out in Okinawa, 8th Comm Battalion on the East Coast, and 9th Comm Battalion on the West Coast. And, and those are their respective centers uh, of excellence, right? And there's really no better way to do that than to, than to take your Marines out to the field, right? And get some good old-fashioned uh, field time. And, and that's what we're about in a big way. Uh, and so, uh, i I will say I've been successful in those in the last seven months. And so, uh, and acronym check toker, that is a table of organization and table of equipment change request. That's where Dave would tell the Marine Corps, Hey, I think my people and my gear needs to change based on the mission. And that's the formal request that you submit to do that. And we're not going to go down LMST or track 170 because nobody needs to define dinosaurs like that. I, yeah, no, I, nobody deserves that. So TLDR, <laughs> this is all stuff that goes on tractor trailers. Thank God. no I, one. I have been out of are, the Marine Corps for over 10 years and I deployed with track 170. So that, that's a, that's telling you something. Uh, Jens, I have two quick questions for you that I want to um, ask you here. So Dave, you said you replaced Jeff. Uh, so you also went from MEF G6 straight to the comp battalion? I, I went from Division G6 to Combatite. Okay. So I want to ask, a, is that a common move to go from a G6 level, you know, staff position, either at, at the G or the MEF level over to Combatite? In my, in my experience, when I was in, that, was, that would be exceptionally rare. Everyone would be like high-fiving to know that they were getting somebody from anything that ended in six coming to a Combatite command. Uh, is that changing? Are we seeing... A little bit more from the command elements of the combatants being seated by folks who already have that deep experience, or or did you guys just win the dice roll? Yeah, so I, I think that had to do with um, you know how many O fives and O sixes that we had. So so the the division G six is an O six billet. Uh, we we didn't have enough staffing to fill that billet, and so it was filled by an O five. And and frankly, I, I consider myself lucky to have had that experience. And and frankly, it's informed me very well uh, for the job that I'm seated in today. Yeah, heck yeah, yeah. And uh, on my end, and uh, you know, part of this is just the nature of my background where I've done all my operational time in the FMF from one MEF 
So from whether it's been on 29 Palms or there on Camp Pendleton. And so uh, my as a major and then as a lieutenant colonel select, I was a regimental S6 and then fleeted up once I uh, was my tour was up at the regiment and then was able to slide into the G6 position, which was great, you know, having the continuity. Absolutely. And then at that time, Dave was over with the 15th Mu as the S6 and then kind of worked with him and uh, was able to kind of lay the, lay the way for him to replace me. But, it, but it is, it's absolutely phenomenal just to have that experience, especially with first Marine division and, and what's involved in, uh, you know, the first Marine division's role within the MEF, you know, where one of the questions will hit on this, but, but it's just the, the, it's not as much anymore about each MSC doing their own thing. It is a truly a whole of MEF approach right now with how we provide support within the Indo-PACOM and, and to be able to be at a regiment, um, you know, in a division G6 over the last, you know, within the last four years and see that transition and the MEF really getting online and working together when the ground starts realizing what aviation has from a C2 perspective. And then we start working the interconnects to be able to provide that common operational picture you know, it's, it's an, a really amazing thing to see, um, to include the MOSs that realize the dependencies they have on each other. All right. Second question that I wanted to run by you both. Dave, you mentioned some of the changes that you want to make. And specifically, you mentioned like the ownership of the MNOC and, uh, the MEF Network Operations Center acronym check on that. If that's still the thing. Um, how often do you two communicate with each other about what you're doing within your respective combatants? Is there like a like, do you all get together on Friday nights with whiskey in hand, you know, over Zoom and be like, how was your week? What did you do? What sucked? What was great? Like, how, how much intercom is happening? Is there a secret Teams room? Yes, Tell us exactly. the name of that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is just as something comes up, either I'll call them or Dave will call me and then we'll just get talking. Um, we haven't really established anything formal because to be honest, we haven't really needed to because just with our background and relationship and then the nature of, you know, there's there's similarities and differences between our two battalions. And a lot of times it's sharing those differences and then kind of kind of working with it with each other on the similarities, because a lot of what what I'm talking about doing and a lot of what Dave's done, you'll find we're we're mirrors of each other in that in that regard, yeah. even if our specific missions differ a little bit. I just I remember you know, back in my day, I get to start saying things like that now, I guess, um, you know, the combatines were very different and, and the way that they organized was different and they had separate missions, obviously, but it was usually a culture shock. If you got orders from seventh com to eighth com or eighth com to ninth com in some way, shape or form. Um, it's, it's great to sort of hear that there's a lot more interconnection that's happening between the two of those, especially, and I know, you know, both of your relationships obviously helps with that too, but it's really cool to kind of see the, the mission tasking instead of like radio platoon also. Yeah, and I think I think you hit on a really key piece there because what we have seen with the with the Fleet Marine Force Tactical Grid that we've established, which is a FMF controlled tactical environment, that is a you know that provides a lot of different transport options for one and two MEF specifically. That we have seen that whenever I have a Ninth Com Battalion Marine or a one MEF Marine go to two MEF, they have a warm start capability right there. 
and and they can they can dial in and provide yep. value almost immediately from hitting the deck. And I've received Marines from Dave. Uh, one of them is Chief Officer Baldwin, who actually ran the MNOC from Tumef. And he came to the battalion and he's my 0670. And he didn't waste any time getting up and running. Same thing with my 0630, who came from Comm Squadron 28. Um, so we have seen the ability to kind of cross pollinate and take goodness from one coast to another, you know, in line with PCS moves has been a huge force multiplier for us. And so, Jeff, what I just heard there is that chief warrant officers are your favorite people on the planet. It's totally cool. I'm glad you put that out there. Absolutely. I love them. I love my red bars. So when, when I was at the Com Battalion almost 10 years ago, I felt there was a fairly big discrepancy between the MOSs of the Marines that I had and the ones that I actually needed. So I know kind of what I did at the time, but is that still a thing for both of you? And then how do you choose to handle that mismatch between the the types you need and the types you have? Yeah, John, that's that's a great point, too. Um, I'm probably going to open a wound for some people here, but um, it, it is very noticeable um, that we are significantly challenged once we lost the 068X MOS, right? Uh, the folks who focused on cybersecurity and, and what the service chose to do was basically take those responsibilities uh, and put them in the packs of the 063X and the 067X, who had pretty full packs to begin with, uh, to, to be honest. And so you're left with really a decision at, at the combatian level on how do I handle that, right? And so the way that we've chosen to do it uh, out on the East Coast is you're, you're training some of them to provide that access mission and you're training some of them to focus on cybersecurity um, because there's, there's just a lot in that, com- in that community. There's a lot of tasks and a lot of standards. Um, and we found it, it works better if you allow them to focus on one over the other. Uh, the problem is, now you have an 063X or an 067X, and you don't know what flavor or skill set that that person comes with. Uh, and so that's going to be uh, hard to manage over the long term. Jeff, do you think that applies for you as well, or is it different at one MEF? No, it absolutely is. And, and, and we have seen that loss of the 0689 MOS, and specifically less about the MOS, but more of the, the, the function and value that they provided. Um, you know, when you said 10 years ago, you know, what immediately comes to mind is, you know, the, the, the role of comm was to get email and web browsing up, right? And then call it a day, and then that's success, and then we get into watch rotation. That has just changed drastically, you know, with the, you know, and, and really, you know, just exponentially changed over the last two years with, with the, and the manner in which we're providing support and what we're able to do. And it's not just about command and control. It's about intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. It's about targeting capabilities. So when we look at common operational pictures and different feeds across the joint and naval force, when we look at different chat solutions across the joint and naval force, when we look at fires and specifically integrating the ground and air side with fires, J-series, K-series message translation, um, things like that, integrating uh, command and control aviation systems, Um, into the network and creating data bridges to move data of different message formats around. You know, we are in the middle of that. And really the network provides that capability to move that data around. And so we, we have seen just on the network side, 
that just what a critical key enabler we are, not just for the kill web, but as we move move into more lower latency transport pathways, we'll be providing direct capabilities that enable the kill chain and to move that higher level quality target data around the battle space. You know, and 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 we're seeing that that transition and that movement now, and it's happening at the rapid rate. Um, and then also with the with the MEF Security Operations Center, we talked about previously the, you know, I have a cybersecurity ops team and a DCO team, um, 24-7-365 that work in the MSOC, um, performing their respective functions, but mutually supporting each other. Um, and that's something that I have seen that has just taken on a whole different look in the last two years when you start really being able to articulate and codify the dependencies that different MOSs have on each other, you know, and it goes into the 59XX with the 063 and 7X, uh, the 26XX with the 067 and 063X, um, and providing multi-enclave capabilities and bringing in different feeds and things like that within the network. It's not just about laying pipes, you know, which everyone always talks about. It is about truly understanding what your customer needs are and what their demands are and being able to work solutions for them in real time. Um, and then providing the overwatch, you know, so it's not just cybersecurity capabilities and the day-to-day management and then the ability to respond in real time to any incidents. It's also the indicators of compromise sweeps that we do, the storage solutions we have where we do forensics on all the logs that we aggregate um, and, and, and collect. Um, and then if needed, uh, doing uh, hunt missions on the, on the IMFDM, you know, and so there's this whole level of overwatch that's occurring um, across everything going on within the MEF and also the work we've been doing both with uh, laterally with Network Battalion, with MACOG, uh, with uh, Marfor Cyber um, and integrating different feeds and different site pictures of what we're seeing, uh, processes. And that's part of this reconciliation that's going on right now between the tactical and the mix-in to create a true holistic uh, capability that will become the Marine Corps Enterprise Network um, that can serve as a huge, you know, bridging solution as we go to McSend 2030. And that's a lot of the groundwork we're laying right now. So, so when you look at what's happened over the last 10 years, you know, and not just the last 10 years, but honestly, the last two years, it is night and day. Um, and it's just really incredible to see what the Marines are capable of. And real quick, the MOSs that Jeff tossed out there before that was talking about communications uh, specialists with cyber specialists, with Intel specialists and aviation specialists. Uh, so that you'd basically say not all stovepipe together, which normally those are completely separate communities. Okay. So next question. So general Matos came on a couple cat. It's been a good couple casts ago. He talked about task force net mod, and we're going to get later on into a full episode just on software factories, but I'd love to get a take from you two on uniform developers, because I know kind of in the Pentagon and at the DC level, there is a bunch of problems that we need to be solving with software. But from a comm battalion commander aspect, what are you excited about someone, maybe possibly one of your Marines being able to code solutions for you? And have you put any thought into that? Yeah, John, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Um, and the answer is honestly not, not a lot. And I, and I think that's not because it won't be a great capability someday, but 
it's in its uh, nascent stage. Uh, and if you if you look at kind of the job of a of a commander of a commanding officer, they've got uh, a planning horizon that is fairly short. You, you can think of it kind of as current operations, right? So what do I have right now that makes me a ready force uh, on behalf of the MEF commander or subordinate commanders across the MEF? Uh, and so if I don't have it on the shelf today, uh, it's very, very hard for me to put a lot of focus on it. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, 100% on board with what with what Dave just said. Um, it's going to be a great capability in the future, but but I think to really at our level in, invest and give a lot of thought, you know, at the tactical level to app development and coding, um, it's probably putting the cart before the horse a little bit. You know, when I look at key tensions and areas that provide immediate value and answer time now requirements, uh, diverse transport is a big one. Um, and that's probably the number one of what we're uh, emplacing and instilling right now. And then, as I said before, the tactical mix-in reconciliation that is that is ongoing right now and moving in a real positive direction. Uh, you know, which which really highlights you know the 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 differences between the enterprise level and the tactical, and uh, what we place at a premium and of importance. Um, which which you know what we we have different site pictures. And, and, and different requirements and different interests, and that's okay. Um, but we need to find a way to reconcile that so we can still support the MEF commander the way he needs while still meeting those objectives uh, that are defined in the McSyn 2030 uh, concept of employment. I know if I was given a uniform developer for my tactical network, I can think of roughly a thousand different things that I could automate or uh, get working on the network. So uh, I'm really excited to see what this matures to uh, because there is a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, you well, know, it's like, funny. Like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say to that, John, and, and that's a great point because I'll be honest, we we're not waiting for a software factory or a coder to be in the, in the comm battalion or in the FMF to do that. Uh, with what we have in the MNOC and MSOC, there are just with the unique talents that we have in the formation, we're doing that right now and automating a lot of cumbersome and formerly manually and, you know, labor intensive processes uh, to be able to gain efficiencies and how we manage this, this really what's now a global network. Yeah. And I think it's exciting to think forward to kind of where we're at today and what it's going to look like down the future when we're able to kind of put an enterprise seal on this thing. So, you know, like the enterprise code repo where we have validated uh, scripts for all of these different things, uh, you know, give or take the enterprise source of truth for all of this. Uh, I I just am really excited to see what the maturity moving forward is because I, I am certain that we've got a lot of really high speed people uh, out there doing awesome awesome things on the network. You know, as as I saw in the the Mar four Cyber G six when when I worked there previously, like there's definitely people out there. There's there's no uh, monopoly on new technologies or ideas that like only sits in the DC area for sure. Um, interest, like I said, interesting to see it kind of get bigger and put on an enterprise scale. And again, kind of like you get these communities, you get people talking more. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So gentlemen, as battalion commanders in charge of all the technical solutions for command and control, what do you currently need from the enterprise, right? This is your opportunity to wave the magic wand. Uh, what policies, capabilities, equipment, feature sets, what is it that you want that you don't have today? And anyone can say a unicorn. That's an acceptable answer. 
Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first to the breach on this. So first and foremost, we, we've seen the McSyn 2030 concept of employment. Uh, it's in draft form right now. Uh, we read the draft at McSyn 2030 implementation plan. Um, what I would say what's of most importance to us right now, especially with this tactical McSyn reconciliation, is uh, establishing clear command relationships between key FMF organizations with Network Battalion, with McCog, with Mar4 Cyber, and then establishing a clear defined C2 framework in which to execute on a day-to-day basis. Um, I, I would say unity of command and unity of effort equals tempo, and that is at a premium within the FMF, which is why when we talk about, when those documents I mentioned before talk about empowerment, you know, empowerment also comes with ownership and the ability to manage certain capabilities. And if you break that unity of command within the MEF, you will decrease tempo. And so the ability to have enterprise services, enterprise infrastructure, uh, and the respective permissions to manage those resident within the FMF and direct that directly supports the MEF commander, the local commanders within the MEF is absolutely one of the key tensions that we're trying to resolve and come to terms with with the enterprise so that we can still make sh- develop a viable bridging solution to get us to what McSend 2030 is going to be while also not losing the agility and responsiveness that we currently experience with the FMF with in the manner in which we're currently operating. And so to, to peel back the onion on this a little bit in case, uh, I think the four of us have lived a lot of this for a really long time. What To paraphrase what you're saying here, you're talking about what level of risk can the field commander take on behalf of the enterprise, give or, give or take? That's what we're really talking about, right? Yeah, John, man, you hit a great point. So so risk is a key piece of this. And so, you know, whereas, you know, CG of Mar4 Cyber may view risk in the cyber domain, uh, an operational commander within the FMF is assessing and managing risk across all the domains. And with that perspective, uh, especially that multi-domain approach and view uh, he may determine to manage risk differently in one domain vice another. And he may be willing to take risk in one domain in order to enable operations or some type of effect in another domain. You know, and this is where when we get into this level of discussion we're at now with McSyn 2030, um, you know, we're, we're very much informing design, you know, a design phase of that. And this is where just my personal belief is that Within the design, we have to enable compartmentalization within each MEF to be able to disconnect from the greater mix-in and still be able to fully function and operate if risk is experienced. And realize risk is bi-directional. That's not just risk that originates from within a respective MEF. That's also risk that originates from somewhere else across the very large attack surface area that is the McSyn that we may want to disconnect from to be able to preserve operations within our environment. 
you know, the, 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 the Navy has, has tackled this in a lot of different ways, like the virtual secure enclave approach. And that's, that's effectively one of the views that we have with how we're uh, employing and implementing the FMF tactical grid, that that could be a form of the Marine Corps virtual secure enclave that, that as we identify the dependencies on the McSyn and then are able to uh, instill from design the ability to have those dependencies alleviated where that's now full ownership and management within the within the respective MEF, we think that's going to be pivotal towards the way we're going to operate in the not too distant future. Yeah, if I could just add on to that, I think, you know, if, if you go back to MCDP1, right, and you, you describe what warfare is, right, and, and, you, and you look at terms like tempo, you look at terms like fluidity, uh, uncertainty, friction, like we have all agreed collectively that, that these are the characteristics of war fighting, right? So we've agreed on that. Um, I, I think it's important as we look to the future and we look at force design and we say, hey, how do we handle that as a communications community? We keep those in mind. Uh, and for me, that that entails that you have to have some level of autonomy, right, at the tactical edge, some level of decision making at the tactical edge. And, and we can... Um, horse trade over what that level is. But I think we need to all agree uh, up front that, that that has to occur, right? Because a commander does have to take risk. And the other thing I, I would add in is that um, there are different design choices for a uh, garrison network than there are for a warfighting network. Um, and, and you have to admit that, that there are two separate and distinct uh, design choices. And so if you're only making one design choice uh, on one end of the spectrum, you're probably not going to end up with a product that can service both, right? And, and uh, I think we just need to be honest uh, about the fact that there are different requirements for, for different tasks uh, across the Marine Corps, and, and we need to engineer a solution that, that conquers both. Uh, I, I don't think we've done that right right now, but I think we are working toward it. Um, and, and Jeff mentioned the McSend transition plan. There's, you know, in the, in an appendix there, there's a list of transition criteria, uh, that I think, you know, we all need to take very seriously. Yeah. And within the, within the McSen COE, you know, it mentions the current state of the McSen as currently a business mission area network that supports warfighting functions or, you know, puts forward that it supports warfighting functions um, and that it wants to transition into a warfighting network that supports business uh, mission area functions. Um, and I think that's within one MEF, our primary concern is uh, right now the McSyn in its current form is the complete opposite of what the vision of the McSyn is going to be. And so if it's a BMA network that also supports warfighting, uh, the bulk of the workforce, and this is also another concern. Um, so from my expeditionary background, both with division and with Marine expeditionary units, we did not want to be dependent on field service representatives, right? We wanted the Marines to be trained. We wanted them to really be able to fully support the equipment and the capabilities being employed. When I look at the enterprise, one of my big concerns is that the enterprise is run by contractors and civilians. And, and the FMF, that is a concern. And just to put it out there bluntly, and which also puts the premium on keeping capability within the FMF so that when that MEF commander 
knows that he has a mission and he needs support, he's not going up and out and hoping that someone's going to pick up the phone. He's going down and in because his people know how to do the job and they're empowered by the service to do the job. I will say that one of my biggest gripes when I was in, and this is now a, a ways ago, and I'm going to talk so that John doesn't get himself in trouble, uh, was that there was no unity of command between what we knew as the contractor support of the mix end. You didn't have any sort of general or direct support guarantees like you would have if you were in a warfighting capability. And that was always, it, it felt like kneecapping you whenever there was any problem that prevented you from getting on quote unquote, the network in any way, shape or form. Um, I don't want to discount the immense struggle that comes with training a warfighting element to maintain a network of that complexity. But I do want to say that when it all hits the fan, as we all train for it to do at some point in the future, uh, I just don't think we're going to be like, oh, so-and-so is off shift and and they'll be back in 16 hours uh, is an acceptable answer. And I also don't think that the like, um, your call is important to us. We will respond to you as the first available customer service representative is also unacceptable in so many ways. Uh, and so just plus plus times 1000 to this entire concept of saying, let's have the actual Marines run the actual you know, networks that are required to fight wars. So I have, yeah, so I have a couple, couple thoughts I want to add in here. One, uh, tread lightly, John, tread lightly. Yes. yes yeah. Thank, thank you, Jeff and Dave, uh, for making my life difficult tonight. Um, anyways, uh, so what Dave was talking about in the beginning for those maybe not necessarily tracking is, uh, on the tactical side, give or take, you're looking at your operating dial up speeds from time to time. And, other people are operating at Fios full gigabit up down. Uh, and so there is a bit of a disparity. And obviously, you are going to configure and design networks differently depending on which one of those two uh, you fall under. Um, on the enterprise side, a couple things worth noting. Uh, so FSR, uh, field service rep, that normally denotes contractors. You know, contractors, high paid, high turnover, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's not forget, uh, we do have civilian Marines, so it's not just uh, contractors running the McSen. Um, and uh, as we've mentioned before, because I, I, as developers and running the network, really not massively different in my mind. And I don't think the right answer is all uniformed, all civilian, all contractor. A, a blend is good. Um, I know, and I know from supporting both, well, maybe not as much Jeff, but I, I know from supporting many, many people uh, there is, and I'm not going to say his name, there is a CTR that I would normally call who would fix many, many tactical problems. Uh, just st sticking up and being fair across the board here. Uh, we've got some really, really talented people, um, and I wouldn't want to just uh, pigeonhole it into one and just say only the Marines. Um, but I definitely completely understand with the symptom. I understand and empathize with the symptoms that you're talking about of like, hey, we need timely and relevant support. Uh, and I think we can definitely provide that. That just is definitely going to need some uh, communication up and down. Yeah. And with the timely, relevant support, you know, that support being organic to the MEF is key because that's what we talk about with unity of command. We can achieve unity of effort across the enterprise. There is no doubt about it. But once you leave the MEF, you break unity of command within that MEF and you take away an operational capability that is in control, again, not just command, but in control of that MEF commander. 
And that is why within the tactical environment, within the MEF, the empowerment that the, the McSyn 2030 COE describes and speaks to, you know, that, that's an end-to-end empowerment. And there's a level of trust that has to be employed and pushed down toward the lower levels. And Dave mentioned MCDP1, centralized planning, decentralized execution. You know, commander's intent is all about senior and subordinate trust. That is what we need to put on full display. And I can tell you with the Marines that I have in the comm battalion, they are capable and they can do it. And thank you for teeing up my next question, which was, hey, talk to me about the relationship Marfor Cyber, MACOG, Network Battalion, um, you talked about native support. So we have a first network battalion uh, out there at 1MEF, and then you've got a second network battalion uh, out with Dave at 2MEF. We're only a couple years into this, so obviously a pretty nascent uh, command in the grand scheme of things. But how how is that going, and what do you think the future of the net battalions look like? Do you think that is the focal point for what you're talking about in kind of working that uh, transition in the network? And how is your relationship, uh, and, and just like how you and Dave are talking, uh, how are you and the network battalion uh, commander talking through this stuff? So I'm going to go back to a, a couple of things that uh, both you, John, and you, Jeff, said earlier that I, I think uh, are germane to this question. Um, so number one, uh, this is new, right? So there's not a lot of data uh, to pull from. There there have not been a lot of exercises where we've worked with one another. Um, and so um, you have to understand that from the beginning. Uh, but the second is one of the first things Jeff said earlier in answering um, one of the last questions was we have to clearly identify this Comrel and we've yet to do that. And so we have organizations that exist to support one another without a clear identification of what their command relationship should be. Uh, and so that's something that requires our focus, uh, not just at the MEF, but at the service as well. Yeah, uh, completely agree with Dave. Um, so I can say with between 9th Com and 1st Network Battalion over this last year, we have developed a very positive and healthy relationship. And we're identifying and working through problems as adjacent commands. You know, so if we look at Network Battalion's area of operation being specifically regional infrastructure and base post installation, and 9th Com Battalion, specifically the NOC-SOC, with also the G6, MCCC, and Dota Ops as a part of that, sharing another AO area of operation. You know, we have a shared boundary between the two of us that we work on. Um, and so, you know, call them LNOs. We have a lot of network battalion. Uh, we have individuals from network battalion who freely come over to the MEF Network Operations Center, Security Operations Center. Um, DCO personnel who come over and partner with us on different uh, training events that we have with our DCO IDM company. Um, and we're partnering in that way uh, to include uh, any LNO exchanges that we can achieve with bringing network battalion personnel into the tactical environment. And we've seen that as really healthy and positive. Um, we've also seen a lot of positive movement with the enterprise Um Uh, within the last few months with part of that reconciliation that I mentioned before and really coming to terms on what the requirements are um, at the tactical level and and reconciling those with how they do business, you know, at the enterprise level. And I can tell you there is a difference between what we hold to 
within MCDP1, MCDP6, and those characteristics outlined there, there is a difference between that and Agile Framework. And we have to reconcile those two and understand where one is applicable at the enterprise level and where one is at a premium at the lower levels and find out how to make those mesh within the ecosystem that we are moving towards and trying to make even more tightly coupled. So, so there's a lot that we have to unravel and work out. But the good news is the relationship with Marfor Cyber and navigating a lot of these tensions with Macog uh, is moving in a very positive direction. Specifically, we just had an integrated planning team with uh, Marine Rotational Force uh, uh, Darwin uh, last week with representatives from 1MEF and 2MEF that went to Quantico to Macog uh, to work with people and start using that as a as a initial increment to how we do this bridging solution and some of the tensions we're going to experience. And we have seen both sides coming to the table and working through this problems in a, in a very positive way and making sure that we're not just talking past each other, but our requirements are truly being levied and represented so that because it's ultimately about number one, enabling Marines to be successful, right? Because they're the most important thing. And number two, supporting the local commanders that are within each of the MEFs. Yeah, Jeff, I, I, that's a great point. And I'll just say for, for network battalion, especially second network battalion who who's out here in my AO uh, and, and the Macog, uh, they are very, very interested as, as we are in learning how to work together and exploring some of these command relationships. So we have a mission rehearsal exercise uh, in March uh, and they've, they've been working with us since December uh, on how we can integrate better. Uh, they've, they've been at our tech control conference, all of our, uh, 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 planning conferences as well. And they're going to send five Marines from second network battalion out there with us. We're actually doing a road march movement to the objective to Quantico, uh, to conduct this exercise in March and they're coming along. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting after that. All right. This is the question I've been waiting to ask this entire time. So technical officers, Jeff, you specifically, went to 0650 course. So back, back in the day, Jeff went to, Jeff went to warrant officer course. Uh, that is Best how technical. Yes. Yes. We, we love our red bars. We have, we have definitely covered this one. So, uh, and, and Dave has personally configured some pretty legitimate VoIP architectures himself as well. Uh, and you know, not taking anything away from the leaders that we had, but these were not choices that were modeled by our leaders. Would you guys explain to me, why you ended up doing this. And if you could go back and tell Captain Jeff uh, and Captain Dave, ooh, you have made a mistake or yes, this, what would you say? I'd say do it again in a heartbeat. I, I wouldn't change anything. I think, I think it naturally comes from just having, uh, you know, a curious mind and especially at the time teaching at uh, Officer Comm School, BCOC, um, you know, going up on the platform and talking about equipment, talking about capabilities. Uh, my view was if I'm going to teach it, I'm going to understand how it works. And so I was teaching multi-channel radio, SATCOM convergence capabilities at the time. And I went down to the enlisted structure platoon and spent a lot of time with the Marines side by side, learning how the equipment works, learning uh, in detail how to configure it 
and and we were we had a course that was very hands on with the practical application exercises to include the field exercises that we would take the class on where they would do that same configuration and work and planning and i found and discovered uh, that the the more technical i became the banner better planner that i became and it allowed me to in stride provide immediate uh, assessments uh, better communicate with my marines and uh, also in different planning sessions, especially when I got back to the fleet, recognize opportunities and create opportunities, um, you know, and ultimately it allowed me to get less out of the analytical side and more into the intuitive side where I could make those in real time in stride decisions. Um, now, I can tell you when I left comm school and after all that hands on experience that I had, when I went to the 13th Mu and was the S6 Alpha, never touched a piece of gear. Never needed to, but I can tell you that foundation that I built at Com School with that technical background has carried me through the rest of my career through 13th Mu, 7th Marines, Division G6, and now at the Com Battalion, and allowed me to be more effective as a communications officer. Um, and then I spent three years at Expeditionary Warfare School, kind of digging into a different side of things, maneuver warfare philosophy, the Marine Corps planning process, and, and MACTEP operations afloat, ashore, things like that. Um, and it gave me an even stronger planning background um, that, I, that I think has just really benefited me, that I've been able to blend those together. Um, so I would say for any officer, you know, as we go and, you know, junior officers as apprentice, you know, going through an apprenticeship, you know, progressing to journeyman and master level, I'll tell you, you never arrive at the master level. You kind of, your goal is to get to journeyman and then keep on pressing forward and learn as much as you can and soak it in. Um, Cause ultimately you're going to enable and equip your Marines to be more successful through your training and education. Hey, this is a extremely important question, right? And I think it, it does have an easy answer. So if you go back to your leadership principles, right, you've got uh, know yourself and seek self-improvement. And right after that, what is it? Somebody say it for me. Be technically and tactically, tactically proficient. Hey. Be technically and tactically proficient. Both, right? Uh, just be clear. Both. <laughs> both. Both are required Not of a leader. Not just rifle range and your PT score, but you have to know which one on the shelf is the router and which one's the server. That is very important. And so I hear this all the time from some folks in our community, and I just don't understand it. They're like, hey, I, I, I'm a leader. And I'm like, hey, brother, I, I, I understand you. Uh, you are a leader, but to be an effective leader, you have to be uh, technically and tactically proficient, right? You have to know uh, how your equipment actually works, how the technology actually works. And I'm not saying... Hear me now. I'm not saying you have to be the guy behind the keyboard to do those things. Uh, but if you've never spent any time behind the keyboard, I would tell you you're probably not as effective of a planner as you should be because you don't understand the ramifications of the plan that you are making. Um, and I would I would implore you uh, to take every opportunity uh, to learn what your technology is and and if you just wait five minutes, it's going to change. So you're going to be excited the entire time because it's constantly adapting. Uh, and if you are a leader, 
whose responsibility is to manage organizational performance, which I would argue that is all of us, you have to understand both the people, the process, and the technology, and how they all interact and fit with one another. And so to me, this one's a no-brainer. You have to be technical in a technical field to lead in it effectively. I will also point out, there is no better way to get a Lance Corporal to open up than he's chopping away on the firewall and you just sit down. You're like, hey, what's that rule about? What's going on? Hey, how are you doing? Everything okay? Anything going on at home? Like that is is too easy. You know what I mean? And like just getting to know people. And when you get to know people, you get to know the technology and what's going on. Uh, I, I cannot stress enough, uh, not only all this, you know, plus one to everything that Dave said, but also being present uh, and, and being there, soaking it in, walking the line, talking to people. Uh cannot be underestimated as well. And again, if, if you lack the basic technical proficiency to be able to engage, those opportunities will not present themselves or they will look disingenuous because it's clearly you're just there to ask them the question about them and then walk away. Uh, and that is not going to work. So gentlemen, I have a very important question that I try to ask anybody that's technically intact with precision who comes in the cast, which is, you know, in the world that you operate in today, what is the technology that you are most excited about or the one that you are eager to employ or learn in the future? No one is allowed to say chat GPT at this point because I don't think that's uh, IL-5 capable. But, you know, the world changes every day. We get new pieces of equipment every day. Like, wh what spark in your interest? What comes off the truck and you go, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome? Yeah, are you talking about commercially available or programmer record systems? Uh, I am star dot star. The world is your oyster. Yeah. So for me and what, you know, myself and Chief Warrenser Rivera have really been championing is this SATCOM as a managed service um, and really expanding that into a hybrid SATCOM architect, commercial architecture um, of geo, commercial geo capabilities, uh, geosynchronous uh, Earth orbit capabilities, low Earth orbit capabilities, and providing an end-to-end -end ecosystem to move uh, critical data around the battle space. Um, and that's something that we have seen when I talk about this FMF tactical grid. That is a that is a piece of that of that tactical grid and one of the transport offerings that we provide. Um, that that is not just space-based capabilities but it's also terrestrial network transport capabilities integrated together, providing a seamless routing experience. And so that's one aspect. The other aspect when creating that transport topology and environment is uh, getting into capabilities that, per, that enable flow routing um, and application specific uh, uh, control of what pathways those applications are gonna take you know, where if we have applications that are more dependent on low latency connections to maintain a higher level of target quality, uh, we can direct and control where what pathway those uh, the, the, those messages the, that those data packets are going to traverse, um, and then also uh, ones that require maybe are a little less susceptible to latency but require higher bandwidth or throughput or. Uh, capabilities where we may have a higher node density, so capacity in orbit is at a premium, where we can control that and have capabilities in place and, and a global fabric on which forces can tie into, which, which really is, a, is an enabler for all our operations. When we talk, to, talk about rapid transition, 
rapid uh, employment, rapid data delivery, things like that. This transport fabric is everything. Um, and even more so because we are in control of it from within the MEF, within one and two MEF respectively. Uh, and uh, it, it is just right now we're doing a, a Indo-PACOM commanders conference and uh, we're doing an all domain command and control capability. And so uh, MACG Marine Air Control Group 38s out there uh, with comm squadron in support and uh, the, the, the MEF Network Operations Center the, managing the tactical boundary and really facilitating a lot of those critical interconnects across the Naval and Joint Force and creating a true integrated tactical picture with all those different feeds through the battle common display framework within CAC2S, just, just a tremendous capability and, uh, and just something that directly benefits and enhances our ability to be a joint force enabler and provide value within the respective O plan that we're aligned with. So I have a super quick question on, on SATCOM as a service, because I think we're going to maybe try to get an entire episode about this in the future, but Will SATCOM as a service make my SARGAR requests not take 52 days to process? Yes, it alleviates the overall need for SARGARs. <laughs> Those of you who can't see our video feed, Dave is furiously shaking his head no. <laughs> no, uh, I, I say no to this, and, and, and Jeff's right, right? Um, it, that, that component of it, it you know, is going to take away your SARGAR <sighs> uh, capability. But um, SATCOM as a service is a supplement. Right. I don't look at it as a full end to end replacement right. for what we already have. It is a supplement. It is a add on. And, you know, I was going to tell you I was I could pick a whole lot of technologies here, but I'm just going to double click on what Jeff Roman said uh, and, and tell you transport diversity is the thing that has me the most excited um, and is a lot of um I spend a lot of my focus and time. Uh, we have an officer PME program at 8th Com Battalion. Uh, the, the first one that we talked technology on was transport diversity and actually flew Rick Rivera out from the West Coast to come to come give that PME. It was very well done, well received uh, out on the uh, East Coast, and it's generated a lot of buzz. I'll tell you, last week I just receded for 12 Starlink terminals uh, to, to actually enter into that LEO orbit that uh, Jeff was talking about earlier. And so um, adding these capabilities together and, and having um, a lot of different options for your transport is very important. And, and, and I, I, can't, I can't highlight that enough. If, if you go back to some of the conversation we were talking about earlier, when we were talking about how um, design choices matter, autonomy is important, I wouldn't say all of those things if I had ubiquitous transport. Like, unfortunately, transport doesn't grow on trees uh, and I have to fight for what goes over that transport at the right time, right? So if I am limited in transport, um, obviously I have... I have less options for what data I can pass across it. And so, you know, it spans the gamut of just network flow data, cybersecurity data, or your actual information exchange requirements. And those are all competing for that one resource of transport, right? So if I can do something to uh, assure my transport, man, I'm cooking with gas. And that is something that I'm extremely interested in. Yeah. And, and awesome. you know, Dave hits on the Assured C2. I think we we expand that over here in one map to Assured C5 ISRT, you know, to incorporate, you know, the intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance and targeting capabilities. Um, but but the, the diversity equation is absolutely um, at a premium and a must. 
And uh, it is it is a huge enabler uh, to the point where the consumption and demand for those capabilities far as it far exceeds the demand for any MILSAT capabilities, you know, and that's just a fact. Um, and and the also we don't just view this as a want; we view this as an absolute need within the Indo-PACOM area of operation because MILSAT. Uh, is is in the gateways that support Milsat are very well known. They're static. Uh, the 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 beam coverage areas are very wide. Uh, there's a lot of problems and tensions we experience on the ground with Milsat capabilities that 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 inhibit operations and tempo. And having this capability provides a better warm start solution that is always on, always available, that has different levels of cybersecurity and defense overwatch, not just with the MNOC and MSOC, but also with the vendor and the provider's own CSOC and NOC that we've integrated um, and we get feeds with both on the DCO side and the network performance side. Um, and this, we have seen this as just a tremendous capability that fits right into our survivability and resiliency piece that's aligned with Assured C5 ISRT. All right. Thanks for nerding out with some serious acronym soup there, Jeff. <laughs> Speaking of nerds, Kyle, why don't you hit us with your hot take? Uh, I'm, I'm going to do a combination of two things, one from Dave, one from Jeff, because uh, I, I kind of wrote down some notes here as we were going and I can't decide. So, you know what? Why not both? That's what we're going to do here. Why not both? Uh, we, we are gentlemen. We don't decide. We just get to do what we need to here. Um, the current Marine Corps Enterprise Network looks nothing like we want it to look like. Is something that I'm going to paraphrase from a little bit from what Jess said about it's an enterprise network designed to support the tactical instead of a tactical network that also can play in the enterprise space. Uh, and I think that we've got to all collectively shake our heads and say, absolutely, we agree with that statement and that we need to train and enable the actual fleet forces to participate in that. Again, not fully run it. And I agree with what you said, John, uh, but get their fingers in that pie to some extent, right? It's not just, you know, passing down the chow line. You want to be involved in the baking process in every way, shape or form. In order to do that, you have to know what the heck you're doing. And so, you know, be technically and tactically proficient. I just want to implore everybody who's out here and I, and I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but I mean it. It ain't that hard to be good at calm these days. Like we are operating in a world of immense resources. Want to learn a technology? Just go ask chat GPT what you should do now to learn it. It'll tell you like you have to be almost kind of lazy to avoid learning some tech these days. And I want to encourage every single person, pretty poozy cherries on top, go try to be a master at something, right? You may not ever get there. That's fine. The journey is the gift in all of this, right? The journey is the gift. So go launch some VoIP networks. Go learn some programming. Learn some Python. Learn some Golang. Do something on this world that helps you kind of get involved. Uh, learn some firewall rules, John. That's what I'm talking about. Set up your home automation, but get nerdy about something in your life because all that stuff translates. And if you're really good at one thing in tech or in comm, you can figure the rest out and you've got a, a depth of base to work with. So... Uh, pretty pleased cherries on top, learn some cool tech stuff and help make the Marine Corps Enterprise Network a little better, everybody. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us. You can connect with us on social media by going to Twitter and following at USMC underscore T-F-P-H-O-E-N-I-X. That's at USMC underscore Task Force Phoenix. Our editor is Sarah Clarkson and marketing support is provided by Jake Osborne. 
You can support the cast by going to Apple Podcast and leaving a five-star review and accompanying comment. Again, ChatGPT can just write that for you. You have no excuses. Go write it now. And we're out.